morning. If you have your Bibles with you or there's one around you, if you want to turn with me to John chapter 4, we will go all the way down to verse 46 and begin there. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water of wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew That was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, pray with me. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for... The way that you, you, you didn't just leave us to figure things out for ourselves, but God, you, you gave us your word and, and you continue to speak through it every day. And that every time we open it, you have something new to speak to our hearts. God, we just ask that you speak to our hearts today. Um, it's our joy to come and worship you and we thank you for being present with us this morning and we just ask God that you would use this time and use your word, use my words, um, and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, to to mold us into uh, the men and women of God that you created us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, to catch us up a little bit from last week, we started last week talking about um, signs and the purpose of signs and. Um, specifically, we talked about how the sign, a sign, is not the thing itself, but it directs you toward the thing itself. Um, we talked about specifically biblical signs direct us toward spiritual truths. Last week, at the end of our service, we shared the sacrament of Holy Communion together. And it, it is a sign, the elements of communion are a sign the point toward a much deeper spiritual reality of what Jesus did for us, but also that sacrament, that sacred moment with the bread and the grape juice is us sitting at the table with Christ, sharing that moment, that sacred moment with Christ. We have all sorts of signs and symbols that point us back toward much deeper spiritual truths. And so we talked also last week about how Not all biblical signs are miraculous in nature. Some, in fact, are are quite ordinary. Um, And today we're talking about Jesus' second sign, second of 
seven signs recorded in the Gospel of John. And the sign today is interesting because it appears to me, it appears somewhat ordinary, but the, the, the deeper spiritual truth is incredibly miraculous. What Jesus does in this sign is very simple, but what's really going on is very, very deep. So, what what's going on in our, in our passage today? We'll just do kind of a Cliff's Notes version. The passage is, is it's only eight verses, but there's a lot happening in those eight verses. Like you, I heard this story many, many times, and then as I began to unpack it this week, I was astounded at just how much there was there, which... Those are my favorite passages, right? When you're very familiar and they're somewhat short, and then as you dig into them, you just realize how much truth there is. Um, it's 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 fun, and it makes me hunger more for for God's word uh, as it unfolds. But on, on the surface here, Jesus had once again returned to Cana, where we talked about Jesus last week, where he turned water into the best wine of the wedding feast. And in Cana, there was this public official in Capernaum, and there was this public official who had no doubt heard about this miracle performed at the wedding feast. You know, it doesn't say it in Scripture, but I think we can deduce just from human understanding that if something like that happened, we might tell people. Um, we, We tell people things that are a lot less miraculous than that, so I would imagine we would talk about that. Uh, but this nobleman had a son who, who was ill, and we're told even in verse 47 was on the verge of death. So this nobleman comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his dying son. And Jesus heals the man's son. In fact, he just simply says, your son will live. And Jesus walks on his way, and the man starts back home. And lo and behold, the man's son was healed, and the man comes to belief in Christ. His whole household comes to belief in Christ, which is huge. But there's much more going on than that. So first of all, let's talk about this, the gentleman in this story, this public official, uh, clearly a nobleman in the, in the community, someone who probably would have had uh, a pretty good amount of money, been pretty well off. Um, the thing that stood out to me initially was that this man certainly would have had errand runners that could have run and told Jesus, you need to come to this man's house. His son is dying. You know, maybe use his position in the community to, to, to try and steer Jesus toward doing what he wanted him to do. But that's, that's not what happened. We don't see errand runners running to grab Jesus. Um, in fact, we know this. Um, we know he had errand runners because we're told at the end of the passage that as he's going back, his servants meet him on the way. So he had people that could have done this, but the man doesn't take the approach of sending someone else in his place. Why? I think it's because he was desperate. It doesn't say that in scripture, but I think it's because he was desperate and he, and, and he was dying. He was just Dying for someone to save his son. So instead of sending someone else, he goes himself. 
we're told in verse 47 that when he heard that Jesus was in town, he went to Jesus himself. As soon as he heard Jesus was, was back, he thought, maybe there's some chance. And he, and he went to speak to Jesus himself. This tells me that the nobleman had probably heard, definitely heard, about the miracle that Jesus had performed at the wedding. But I want us to stop there for a minute and and switch from looking at the public official, the nobleman, we don't know his name, to looking at ourselves. We we have to find ourselves in the story, right? When we read scripture, we, we find ourselves in the story. Where do we fit in here? And I think that we fit into the role of this public official. When we are in need... Or when we know someone who is in need, we go to God, right? We go to God. We go to Christ and ask for healing, ask for help, ask for, as the song said, ask for circumstances to change, ask for God to intervene, ask for God to step in, to step down. We go to God because we know that he is capable and we're not. Just as this public official knew that Jesus was capable, and he was not. And again, it doesn't say it in Scripture, but I'm willing to believe that there were doctors who were not capable. There were others who were not capable. And so he went to one that he thought might be capable. However, Jesus' response to the man brings us really to the root of what's going on in this passage, brings us to the root of Jesus' message in this sign, brings us to the spiritual truth that the sign points back to. What Jesus says next calls into question my heart condition, our heart conditions, when we approach God, petitioning God, asking God for whatever it is. What Jesus says next deals with our response to who Christ is. Jesus responds to the man by saying in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's quite a response to me. A man is coming asking for help with his dying son. And Jesus sort of responds with a kind of a frustrated response that that you unless you unless you see signs and wonders you don't believe I am who I say I am but Jesus wasn't just speaking to this nobleman he was speaking to the people in Galilee at the time where he was from and and frankly he's speaking directly to me and he's speaking to you this morning but but why was Jesus so frustrated by this you know to me it's when I when I see when I see Thomas when Jesus the resurrected Christ comes back and he's with the disciples and Thomas says I'm not sure I believe this I need to see I need to see the the hands and I need to feel your side it, it, I can relate to that as someone who likes to know how the machine works before I trust the machine I fully understand that. So why was Jesus frustrated by this? And I think it's because Jesus wants to be known 
as more than just our miracle man. You know, to put it in context, at the, at, at the time there were people, all sorts of people who went around claiming to do miracles with various means and methods and elixirs and powders and all this kind of, just like there are today. There are all kinds of people that make money off of claiming to be able to heal something that they're not actually healing. Jesus didn't want to be known as, as just some miracle worker. Jesus wanted to be a, wanted to be understood for who he really was, for who who he said he was, and we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. These these miracle workers were a dime a dozen, and Jesus was simply saying to the man. You will only believe that I am who I say I am if there's something in it for you. Or if you see some sort of proof that you can accept or some sort of tangible evidence that works for you. And sure enough, we see later in the passage that when the man finds out from his servants that his son was healed and he pieces that together with the timing, he even asks them, yeah, but what, what, what time? What time did it happen? And he pieces those things together and then... He believes after the evidence is pieced together and then his whole household believes. And the fact that they came to belief in Christ is a, is a, is a wonderful thing and it's an awesome thing and it's a beautiful thing. And that's Christ's ultimate desire is that we come to belief in him. But there's a different part of it that I think Jesus is keying on here. I'm not saying the man didn't have faith in Christ. He clearly had some kind of faith or he wouldn't have come to him. There was something there. There was a seed there. There was something germinating. But he, he needed something tangible that would work for him that he could piece together with that faith to make it real. See the difference? See the difference in just coming to Jesus out of desperation that maybe maybe God can do this. Maybe God will show up. Maybe maybe this time he'll do it. Versus knowing who God is and knowing what he can do, what he's capable of and what he will do. I think that's what Jesus was was getting at here. When I see this nobleman, I see a man who was who was out of options, and he was he was going for the last option that he thought might work. In First Samuel, um, I always think of the the account of King Saul, who was anointed by God to be king over all Israel. And if you know Saul's story, you know that Saul eventually begins erecting idols and worshiping idols uh, in addition to worshiping God. In fact, even at one time pays a, a medium to uh, bring Samuel's spirit back to speak to him and all sorts of things. And God ultimately rejects Saul, whom he had anointed as king of Israel, and he puts David in Saul's place. Saul worshiped idols because he wanted to make sure he had all of his bases covered. In case God didn't show, in case God didn't do what he wanted him to do. God was just an option for Saul. 
What Jesus is saying to the nobleman in this passage is, I want to be more than just an option for you. And I think it's what he says to us this morning. I want to be more than just your option. I want you to believe even when you don't see what's in it for you. And so when we believe based on what's in it for us, we begin to make a God in our own image. Our story is not terribly different than Saul's story. Desperation is a thing, isn't it? We've all felt it. I'm sure that we could go around this room, and we won't. Don't worry. Don't begin to sweat. But we could go around the room, and I could ask you about a time when you were desperate, and you would have one. When were you desperate, and you went to God, and you would have one. And it may sound unfair to compare us to Saul, but when we begin to view Christ as simply our miracle worker and we allow our faith to languish and to atrophy between these times of desperation, when we draw really, really close to God, we are really no different than Israelites making a golden calf just days after God freed us from hundreds of years of bondage. A couple of years ago, I noticed that I was really good at carving out a portion of my day to spend with God when I was really nervous about something. When I was really anxious about something. When there was something approaching that I really wasn't looking forward to and I was feeling really scared. I was excellent at carving out time for God. But then that circumstance would pass and I became less good at it. It became maybe more infrequent. Or maybe ceased completely for a period of days or week or two weeks. And then the next circumstance would come around and all of a sudden I I had this time for quiet time with God again. There's nothing magical about those times when I was nervous. It was just that I cared more then because I felt like I, I needed to draw close to God. And so I started to make sure that that time became a priority. I didn't like that pattern that I saw because when we're only concerned about what we get from God, we are worshiping a small g God made in our own image. And if we're worshiping a God made in our own image, who are we really worshiping? Audience participation. Ourselves. We are engaging in idolatry at that point. And idols take on many forms, and we all know that. They take on many, many forms. Sometimes they're like a small rectangle that looks a lot like this. God is concerned about more than just our needs as we perceive them. And thank God for that. God is concerned about our glory, and ultimately God is concerned about His Glory, if God were only concerned about us, we would never face a trial. We would never have a troubled day. We would never know so much as even a troubled thought in our entire lives because God's capable of that. Amen? He's capable of that. So if God were only ever concerned about our comfort, we would never know discomfort. 
And I don't mean to be flippant about trials. I know that some of you have gone through and are going through some tremendous, tremendous trials. However, our God is the God of the valley just as he is the God of the mountain. Will God give you trials? Absolutely. Will bad things happen? Most definitely. Will God leave us? Never. Never. And he says that over and over and over in Scripture. And, and I laugh a little bit at myself because no matter how many times he says that, there's still that thing in the back of my mind that wonders, will he show up this time? Can he do it this time? I think about the disciples when Jesus uh, worked the miracle with the, the loaves and, and fishes, and he, and he does it a couple of times. And even after he's done it more than once, they still don't quite get it. They still go, yeah, but Jesus, what if there's not enough food? And again, Jesus gets a little frustrated and he goes, it's not about the loaves and fish. It's just not. And I, I, see, I, see, it's, I see it in myself no matter how many times God works the same miracle. I just, I wonder. I go, oh, is he going to be able to do it again? Hmm. I'm thankful that our God is not focused on meeting all of my earthly desires. I'm thankful that our God is working a glory for me and for all of us, even right this moment, that we could never imagine or work for ourselves. I am thankful that God is bigger than you and me. And so, what is the spiritual truth that this sign that Jesus points to today, what's the spiritual truth that this is pointing to? If Jesus doesn't want us to see him as our miracle man, why perform the miracle? Why contribute to the reputation? Why not just say no? Remember earlier when I said that this this miracle pointed to a, a, a see, this seemingly ordinary action by Jesus. You know, he just speaks a few words and walks on. It points to a very miraculous spiritual truth about Christ. Jesus heals the boy. By simply speaking words, he simply says, go, your son will live. That's it. Now, when we think of miracles, we're, we typically think of some sort of laying on of hands and, and praying over and, and something, something else. But he simply tells the man that his son will live and the man believes him and it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. And remember, the boy was near death. The man said, can you heal my son so that he doesn't die? And Jesus, just simply by speaking a couple of words, heals this boy wherever he is. I don't know where, where the boy was in relation to where Jesus and the man were speaking. We're not, we're not told that. Jesus shows that he's the sustainer of life. He's not just the creator of life. He's the creator and sustainer of life. And so just with a couple of words, he sustains this boy's life, which points to the fact, the the truth that we already know, that Jesus was fully man, but he was fully God, is fully God. 
Simply by uttering a word, he brings this boy back from the illness that was plaguing his body, so much so that it was about to take his life. And I know that some of you have prayed desperately, crying out to God for healing, for someone to be healed, for a circumstance to change. Begging for Jesus to correct the situation, and I don't have time to get into that this morning, but I I urge you to risk that conversation in your small groups this week and in your time alone with God. I've been walking alongside a close friend at work for some time now, and um, one of the truths that God kept pointing me back to that I shared with Dave a few weeks ago uh, when things got really serious with this gentleman's spouse, with his wife, is that heaven is healing. Heaven is complete healing. And I never really thought about it that way before, but God can heal. One way or another, God will heal. He will see it done. But when we come to God only for that, we get into what Jesus Jesus's frustration was in this passage, which is our consumerism. Prior to performing this sign, if you read the passage just prior to this one um, this week, you'll see that Jesus was in Samaria, where he had a conversation with a woman at the well. And in, in Scripture, it says Jesus had to return through Samaria. Now, if you look at the map, Jesus probably could have returned some other ways, but he, he had to go to Samaria. I believe he had to go to Samaria for this, for this woman. And do you remember that story? Do you remember specifically how the disciples acted in that story? They acted like you would expect a group of men to act who were in a town they didn't want to be in with people that they didn't particularly care for or feel comfortable around. They didn't really understand what Jesus was doing. And Jesus has this life-changing conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day. And then she goes and tells the town about this conversation and they respond overwhelmingly to Christ. Jesus tells the woman in response to her question about the Messiah, he responds to her that, that he is that one that she's speaking of, and she shares the message, and, and people simply believe. Jesus doesn't perform any sort of miracle. He doesn't do any grandiose thing. They simply believe he is who he says he is. She said it. He's he spoken to her life. She said it. He confirmed it, and she just believed it. And then when... Jesus comes back to his own town, his own area, not Samaria. Not talking to people that he wouldn't be expected to talk to. He's talking to people that are familiar with him, that he's familiar with. And this Samaritan woman in this Samaritan town, a place where he culturally probably shouldn't even have been, responds more overwhelmingly than his own community. Jesus had many followers, but I have to ask myself, how many followed him just to see what he would do next? 
just to see what he would say next. We see in Judas that Judas began to doubt Jesus when he didn't fit into Jesus to sorry to Judas's model for what the Messiah should or would look like. When Jesus didn't fit that mold, then Judas started to doubt and he started to open himself to to other voices. How many times have we caught ourselves worshiping the gift and not the giver? How many times have we been focused on what God has done for us, but not focused on God? So just as people were coming to him for what he could do for them, we, as a culture, have that same consumerism in the church today, in the big C church, specifically the Western and North American church. And I hate the term church shopping. It's been around for years. And... We probably all used it at some point, but it just plays into this idea that we look around for a, a church, a faith community, a body that fits us. We search until we find a church that makes us feel good, makes us feel right, ultimately a church that agrees with us. I heard a couple talking one time, they were a young couple that were not yet married. Um, they were going to a church, and the pastor preached on uh, not living together out of wedlock. It made them very uncomfortable. So they found a different church that didn't preach on that. But that is our culture, isn't it? That's our culture. What I'm saying is that Jesus is saying this morning in this passage. Don't buy into that culture. Don't buy into that that story that the the consumerism and 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 that we we just we just find something that makes us comfortable, that makes us feel warm, makes us feel good, and that makes it right. We apply our Western ideals to our faith, and frankly, it's just not about us. Jesus is worth more than a once-a-month attendance at church, and he's worth more than our intellectual assent that, you know, maybe he is, maybe he could be who he says he is. Jesus came to be your Savior, yes, but ultimately came to be Lord of your life. That's what he wanted to be seen by this public official in Cana, and that's what he wants to be seen as by us today. He wants us to see him and believe him for who he is, not what he can do. And not who we wish he was or who we want him to be. No one loves me more than Jesus. No one ever will. No one will ever be closer to me than God. And because of that, I can trust him with my life. I can trust him to be Lord of my life because he loves me so much that he wants those things for me that I don't even yet want for myself. And he leads me based on that. If you have not come to a place yet where you have placed your trust in Christ to save you and rescue you from your sin as your savior, I urge you to do that this morning. If you've come to that place but haven't come to the place where you can trust him to be Lord of your life and to direct your steps and to be obedient to him, I urge you to take that step as well.
Jesus is the Son of God. He's a member of the Trinity. He stepped down from the community of the Father and the Spirit to walk amongst us, to show us, yes, how much He loves us, but ultimately so that we might know Him and be able to make His name great and His salvation known to the ends of the earth. Pray with me. Father, we can never thank you enough for Jesus. Father, we can never thank you enough for all the things that you have done. All the things that you have done for us pale in comparison to the sacrifice of Jesus. To rescuing us from the bondage of our sin. To rescuing us from death. Father, the miracle we see this morning is indeed miraculous, but it's nothing compared to that. That you knew us so deeply, and yet still, God, you paid our penalty, you paid our price, so that we might be in relationship with you forever. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you.